0: Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 14 to 16. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved. And Jerusalem will dwell securely and this is the name
1: by which it will be called the Lord is our righteousness the word of the Lord our second scripture passage is from the Gospel of Luke chapter 21 verses 25 through 36 Jesus said But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. The word of the Lord.
0: If summertime is a particularly slow time, and you know, it's a time when school's out, when business tends to slow down, you relax a little bit, the Christmas season, the Thanksgiving to Christmas and the days afterwards New Year's season, or I guess if you're looking at the malls and the radio, from, November, some, from Halloween until late January, that Christmas season is an incredibly full and fast pace. If you're not already in the middle of it, you know or will know very soon just how manic it is. And in many ways, it's exciting. It's lots of good things as you are shopping and listening to music, but you're also trying to accomplish all the things that you do every year. You're lighting candles and decorating the outside of your house and buying a tree and making sure that you go to that Christmas party or you host that Christmas party, and then you've got to listen to more music. And you don't want to miss Charlie Brown's Christmas when it's on TV because you always used to watch it on TV, and it's one thing to watch it on DVD, but you want to see it on TV with the commercials, right? And then you have to go to that next Christmas party and play some more music, and you've got to bake the cookies that you always bake every year. It's really just crazy sometimes, and yet wonderful. But cutting into that is something we're going to be doing over the next few weeks, and it's called Advent. Advent is like a, a misplaced key on a piano. It's hitting a dissonant note, and it's saying, stop occasionally. Breathe, sit, and look for something deeper than what's under the Christmas tree. Look for something better than that next party. Look for something beyond December 25th. Advent, which over the next couple of weeks we'll be looking at until we get to Christmas Eve and the days following, Advent means arrival or appearance. And it actually is pointing to Christ's coming in glory, not to Christ having come at Christmas. And as we mentioned at the beginning of the service, Christ coming at Advent, that Advent idea, is Christ is coming as judge. And so, in a sense, there's a reason to be solemn and repentant of our sin recognizing our own sin, our own brokenness physically, mentally, spiritually, the injustices and suffering in the world, and the need for Christ to come and deal with these things. It's also looking for Christ to come as king. And as a result, it's a season of longing for Christ to right these wrongs that we see in this world and to reign and establish his reign, and therefore it's a hopeful season. And that's why it actually fits leading up to Christmas very well, because there's a solemnity to it, and there's a hopefulness to it. There's a repentance, and there's a longing. And we look to Christ, the only one who can meet our deepest needs. And so this morning, we're simply going to ask the question, how do we do Advent well? We're going to look at Jeremiah 33 a little bit, but mostly at Luke 21. And my starting question is this, where are you looking? And where are we meant to be looking? Look at what Jesus says in this sermon to his disciples, days before his own death, talking about the end of days. He says, and there will be signs. This is verse 25 of Luke 21. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress and of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. There will be signs. So do we look for the signs? Should we be reading the signs? I think one of the things we need to recognize is this, is this wording here that Jesus is using is what theologians would call apocalyptic language. It was a style of writing in the early centuries before Christ and in the first century or so after Christ. Stylistic language that was highly metaphoric and hyperbolic, but filled with theological intent. I actually think the best way to read apocalyptic stuff like Daniel, Jesus' messages like this, or Revelation— is to not get bogged down by the details, but look at the big picture. What is this telling us? What is the point and effect that Christ, in this case, is trying to drive across? Now, Look, we do this all the time when it comes to things like watching a TV show, right? Okay, so let me give you an example. I'm jumping out, and I'm going to try and connect it back. TV in the 70s and 80s dealt with race relations, In the late 80s, there was a documentary called Eyes on the Prize, tracking the civil rights movement. In the 70s, there was a sitcom called All in the Family that also dealt with race. How you watched both of those should be different. One was a documentary, one was a sitcom, both dealing with a political and highly charged cultural issue, both with a point to make. But you listen to the words of Alabama Governor Wallace in Eyes on the Prize differently than the words of Archie Bunker. When we read apocalyptic language in the Bible, we need to understand it is a different form. It's not documentary. And so we need to read it with careful eyes and one of the beauties of, the, of all the words of end time stuff in Scripture is that it is thick and opaque in a way that says, don't get bogged down. But it does tell us some things. so let's look at that. Jesus says, There will be signs in the sun and moon and stars, distress of nations, people with fear and foreboding. The heavens themselves will be shaken. All of this actually goes back to an Old Testament longing. It's apocalyptic language that was even found in the Old Testament that looked for the day of the Lord. You see, when Yahweh arrives, the very heavens start quaking, and all the nations get nervous. When Yahweh, when the Lord God arrives, nobody stays the same, because the Lord is coming as judge, and he is going to right all wrongs and establish his kingdom. Jesus is building on that when he then says something that was really controversial in his day and age. He says, you will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now again, not getting caught up, when the word cloud is used, it doesn't necessarily mean, oh, hey, there's Jesus, he's flying around in the clouds, look at him up there. It it may, but actually we know from other ways that the word cloud is used, It, it is simply representative of the presence of God. It was a cloud that filled the tabernacle. It was a cloud that went with Israel in the Exodus wilderness wanderings. It is a cloud that, that signifies the presence of God with us. Jesus is saying here, there will come a day when God will arrive. He will be present. And oh yeah, it's me. And that's where he really pushed the limit. When we say Jesus never claimed to be God, right here he's saying, I am coming. You're looking for God to come, I will come. I am the one you're looking for, the judge and the king and the Lord of the universe. If I was going to sum all this, I would say that this, these set of verses here claim this. Christ will come again, Not in a lowly feeding trough and with peasant parents, but in great glory. He will come again as ruler to establish his eternal reign. And I think one big idea we can draw from this is there's going to be no question. There will be no question when he comes again. He came the first time and it wasn't really clear who is this guy. When Christ comes again, there will be no question. And I think that's actually one of the first things we need to realize is one of the dangers we have when talking about the end of time is we start looking for signs, try to read the tea leaves. But I think that what this is telling us is there's no puzzle. There's no wondering. And that's why Paul, even, I mean, why Jesus even uses the parable of the fig tree. Look, when the fig trees in leaf, you know summertime is near. He's saying... Everyone knows you you don't need a PhD in botany. We all know when the leaves are there, the summer is near. He uses a parable. If you were doing it today, we would assume he would use sarcasm and mockery. Hey, no duh. Like when you see snow outside, it's cold. When you wake up, you're not asleep anymore. Get it? You're all going to know when I come back. You don't need to be Nostradamus to figure it out. The very heavens are going to quake. The nations will crumble. You will all be flat on your face. You don't need to look for anything. I will come the end. And so when we go down the road of trying to read the tea leaves, it's often a wrong road. In fact, I would say it's pretty much always a wrong road. It's the wrong looking. I remember... Prominent Christians looking in the 80s and uh, and trying to figure out whether it was Mikhail Gorbachev and the Warsaw Pact that was the Antichrist or whether it was John Paul II or the European Union. For some reason, it was never Ronald Reagan or NATO. But the picture was you had to try and figure out who it was. Who's the Antichrist? Look, Jesus says, I will come. The end. Look not at the signs. If you want to sum up all the signs in the scriptures pointing to Christ's second coming, it is Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will come in glory, and everything and everyone will react. Nothing is unaffected by Christ's return. So look, when when he came the first time, that first Christmas, it was humble and it was hidden. Think about how much faith it took for Mary an unwed virgin, to believe the angel's message. You're going to bear a savior. For the shepherds out in the fields who had no idea who Mary was, over in that village is the savior. That took faith. It took faith for the disciples, even as they're walking around with Jesus, to believe that he was the Messiah. It takes faith for us 2,000 years later to look back on these stories in a book and say, yes, that is the Savior. But when Christ comes again, you don't need any faith. At that point, everyone, everyone will know who he is. Jesus is saying, look, when I come again, all creation is going to crumble and break apart. At my presence. The very creation is going to fall on its face, and all humanity will too. So, if we're going to advent well, the first thing I would say is don't look to the signs. Don't try to read the signs. And what this passage points us to instead is to look or watch yourself and look or watch Christ. Watch yourself and look to Christ. It seems to be asking, Jesus seems to be asking, what is it that you're watching? And he says it this way, or I'm going to put my own spin on it. I think what he's saying is, watch yourselves so that you can stop looking at yourself so much. Let me explain what I mean. In verse 34, Jesus gives a word of warning. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. Dissipation and drunkenness are basically the same word. It's being drunk drunk. And if you wanted to summarize that, it's you're pursuing pleasure, fun, the freedom to do what I want when I want. That's what your life is about. Or the uh, seemingly opposite of that, it's being burdened by the cares of this life. Anxiety and worry about health, financial security, status. What's interesting is both phrases, whether it's the drunkenness or the cares of this life, is being distracted with myself, And right now. That's what we do all the time, too. What do we go around worrying about? What am I going to eat later on today? Hey, what's happening this Friday? What are we doing this Friday? Or anxiety, do I have enough money to retire? Do you think they like me? We're constantly filled with anxiety about how we look, how we're appearing, how we're set up in life. And Jesus is giving a warning. When we do that, we easily lose sight of God and eternity. And I would say in a place like America, it's, it, we are so distracted by everything going on in life that I'm not sure if we even care if Christ returns again. I know that generally that's how I live my days, right? Because I mean... Let's say you got the insight of when Christ was going to return. I would guess at least half of us would be like, gosh, I have this thing planned. Does he really have to come then? I mean, you know, I've got got tickets to the final four in early April. Jesus, do you think you could push it back to late April? I mean, when am I going to go back to the final four again? I know you're coming and all, but a couple extra months would be great. whether it is ease of life or the pursuit of fun, the need to keep up with others or simply being overwhelmed with anxieties and stress, I, I don't know about you, but I am so easily distracted by whatever I want or whatever is most pressing. And I think that's why Advent can be so great because it's an opportunity to ignore the tyranny of myself and the now and the immediate. Well, at least for three or four weeks. Thankfully, Advent only lasts for the four weeks before Christmas. But I I will say it's probably needed leading up to Christmas more than at any other time of the year. If we're gonna Advent well, I think we take that word watch and we direct it a little bit outside of ourselves. Take the time to actually, maybe during this Advent, read the headlines, watch the news. I know some of us don't like to do that. But because you need to see the fallenness and brokenness of the world around you and weep and long for Christ to come and write these things. Take the time to listen to suffering and loneliness and heartbreak in the people around you, your family and friends. I know sometimes there are people that we just want to avoid because they're going through hard times. Step into those times during Advent and recognize that they need Christ to come. And even take that time yourself. Dwell, even as hard as it is in Christmas time, dwell on your own brokenness and need. Just how sinful I am. Even my heart's motives are wrong. I need Christ to come and forgive once and for all. I think in the midst of Advent, we do a lot of celebration at Christmas. To Advent well is to confess your sin. It's to weep. Weep over the brokenness of this world. It's to listen and maybe even take some moments to be silent. There's a great hymn that goes back actually to maybe one of the earliest hymns ever written called Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence. It actually is part of a communion liturgy from St. James, it's believed. And we sing it actually at Christmas and Advent, but listen to these words. Let all mortal flesh keep silence, and with fear and trembling stand, ponder nothing earthly-minded. Why? Why? For with blessing in his hand, Christ our God to earth descending comes our homage to demand. Advent is a time to look for his coming. You know, this this phrase in verse 34, watch yourselves, or verse 36, stay awake, it's a warning. I usually like to avoid warnings in my sermons, but it's a warning here. Watch yourself, stay awake in case you're not ready for the coming of the Lord. So do we need to be afraid in Advent? Or can we have hope? Look, the Bible is clear. All of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. If Christ is coming again to bring justice, justice for us is eternal judgment. Our natural state, our by-birth state, is that we should be afraid when Christ comes as judge. I remember as a kid being actually very afraid. I, I had an overly you know, big imagination and also a, a, a very strong awareness of Christ. And I was afraid that I was going to be in the middle of sinning right when Christ returned and then I was sunk. Very, very aware that that could happen. That, that actually is not true. I actually think we can have hope. Hope. I do think we do not need to be simply afraid. When we talk about the fear of the Lord, it is a a reverence for who God is and what is really important. Rather, we can have hope and confidence. Why? Because we look to Christ. Because we look to Christ. In Jeremiah 33, Jeremiah the prophet gives this word from God about what is going to happen. In verse 15 and 16 we read, In those days and at that time, I, the Lord, will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely, and this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness, the Lord is our righteousness. And this was during a period in the when Jeremiah was writing when Israel was in exile. All their hopes were dashed. Everything good in life had been stolen from them. And they were praying that God would bring a king, a new king to throw off their enemies and give them their land again. But instead of a king, instead of a king to bring them what they want, kind of like instead of a president, a new administration to give us what, what we really need, God promises a savior. Kings cannot give you what the savior can. A new administration will not provide what the Messiah provides. And when he comes, he is going to bring righteousness. That word righteous in the Old Testament means the combination of doing justice and bringing salvation. And that is God's promise in Jeremiah 33, 500 years before Jesus that Yahweh God will come to right wrongs and deal with sin. And that's why we have nothing to fear when Christ comes again. Because the Lord came to execute justice by bearing our justice in his death on the cross so that we can be renamed, as it says here, the Lord is our righteousness. To be named, to be renamed, means you have a new identity, a new status or value or worth in God's eyes, and a new calling and future destiny. Your your name by nature is sinful, condemned. But if your faith is in Christ, your name is the Lord is my righteousness. God sees Christ when he looks at you. if you and I are looking to Christ as our righteousness. See, when Christ comes again, when the Lord comes, he's not going to come in and smote you or glare you into a corner like I do my dog every so often. He's going to say to you, He's going to say to you the very thing that I don't know if you remember, a couple of some of you who were here a few months back when Brian Berry shared about in the midst of fear and anxiety about the shortness of life, that the Lord spoke to him very clearly and said, my son, my son, my son. When the Lord comes again, he's going to look at you and say, my son, my son, my son. And you and I might say something like, do you mean Jesus? Are you talking about Jesus? He's going to say, I'm talking about you. When I see you, I see Jesus. Is there a difference? Come, my son. But if your faith is not in Christ there actually may be reason for fear and foreboding when Christ comes again. The Bible is very clear. And we all know this too, even aside from the Bible. You will not always have tomorrow. You may not even have today. All of us will die. All of us. Or Christ will come again. And all of us will stand before God to give account for our lives. The righteous unto eternal life, the unrighteous unto eternal death. Do you want to stand before God on the basis of your own righteousness? Your own goodness, your own record, your own morality? Or on the basis of Jesus Christ and His righteousness. I choose the latter. And if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and trust His righteousness, then as verse 36 says, you can straighten up. Do not fear. Straighten up, raise your heads. Sorry, this is, yeah, verse 28. Sorry, not verse 36, verse 28. Straighten up, raise your heads. Your redemption is drawing near. In verse 28, when it says, straighten up, raise your heads, that's actually, a. it's not a command. Hey, straighten up, Jesus is coming. It's a, don't cower. Don't be afraid, Jesus is coming. You have no reason for Fear. Have confidence and assurance and courage. Why? When Christ comes, your final redemption is finally here. Look, anyone who has dealt with sorrow in this life and for whom Christmas is a painful season, and for many people it really is, because it is just a reminder of the pains and brokenness Tragic loss, of broken relationships, of their constant struggles, of just living in a world deeply affected by sin. For anyone who feels that way, has dealt with sorrow and pain and suffering, Advent is a hopeful season. It's looking not to presence under a tree, but to Christ and his coming again. And the promise, the promise that God will redeem everything. One day, God will redeem everything, even what you are going through right now. Everything. The true hero of Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, Sam. Sam had the the prescient knowledge to say something that's been repeated by Christians, but it's a throwaway line if you're reading through the book. At one point, Sam says to Gandalf, who's the wise sage, Is everything sad going to come untrue? Is everything sad going to come untrue? The answer of Advent and of Christ coming again is yes, yes, yes. One day, one day, everything sad is going to come untrue. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let us pray. God, in the midst of the chaos and joy and music and food and activity and fun of a Christmas season, wake us up to be sober, to be watchful, to weep for a broken world and for our own sinfulness, and to contemplate the God who would die for us and the hope of his coming again. Amen.
1: Let all mortal fish keep silent and with fear trembling stay ponder nothing earthly minded, for with blessing in his hand, Christ and God to earth descended, our full arm is to